All right, today on the Button Up Podcast, we have Jack Bark from Bark and Jack. Adrian Barker, Adrian Barker. I'm kidding. They got that email of the guy uh, impersonating you. Yeah, I forgot about that. I'm a, I'm a fan, too. Come on. I forgot about him. <laughs> well, I watched that video, and I, was, and I had the same problem. I actually had to send um, – I had to work with eBay to get a guy banned from eBay because he was using my name to ask for free clothes for stuff. So I totally felt you there. But right. anyway, today we have Adrian from Bark and Jack, also known as Jack Bark, <laughs> uh, to talk – to us about his YouTube channel, and uh, very excited to talk to you in person. Guys, thanks very much for having me. This, this is uh, I, was, I was quite shocked when you you suggested. It. I thought, yeah, totally. Have. So thanks oh, yeah. so much. Well, I remember finding you a while ago because your thumbnails are distinct; they're they're sideways. <laughs> yeah. And then I switched to the black um, the black theme on YouTube, and so then now I'm like, oh, what's he gonna do? Is he gonna change it? But uh, yeah. Barkin Jack, a watch channel. I think about Barkin Jack as the guy walking through London talking about watches, but I we, we like to find out on the Button Up podcast is how did you get there? So uh, I know you're in London now, but give us a little bit of your background and how you started to be a, a watch YouTuber. Uh, so I'd, I've been into watches for, for ages. I've, I've had a, a watch Instagram page for probably, probably about six or seven years now, and I've been – like you guys, I've been watching YouTube channels and I've always had that feeling of I don't agree with what's being said or um, I don't connect with the person. And especially in watches, so many people are looking at the luxury markets and throwing around numbers and figures and buying watches that I'll never be able to get hold of and then talking about them from the perspective of being that type of guy. And I'm not from money. I'm 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 not a wealthy person, and so I, I just didn't connect with those sorts of people. So uh, I was kind of in a lucky position with having. I think I had like twelve thousand followers on Instagram, and I just thought I'll give YouTube a go. I don't like writing on watch forums because I'm dyslexic, and so I I just unless I really focus, I will make myself look stupid. So by sharing my thoughts on uh, watches, it kind of made sense to talk about it. And my job before YouTube was talking. I, um, I'm like a corporate teacher. So I, I, I develop people like management training and stuff like that. And so talking is, I just do that. Um, so it kind of made sense. Uh, and then the, the wife took the kids away for a holiday had the fact to myself and I had a new watch. I tried to talk to her about the watch before she went away. She really didn't care about it. It was a, a 1985 Submariner, a 5513. Uh, and I just, I just set up a camera, set up a microphone. I just made a video about it, put it up and told the people on Instagram. I think, I don't know, 50 people watched it. I thought, oh, cool. All right, fine. And then I'd woke up the next day and I'd, I had like 200 subscribers or something. I thought, okay, fine. Obviously, the guys from Instagram, but it kind of just took off. I did another video and it just just kept going. Wow. So, yeah. yeah. So, well, I don't know what your what was like the first watch that you remember as being like the significant one. Um, the significant purchase. The, the the watch that kind of changed it for me, which is embarrassing to talk about now that I know about watches now. It was a Gucci chronograph. Graph. My my sister-in-law worked for Gucci, and she got. I can say now because she doesn't work there anymore. But you, staff can get ninety percent off Gucci products, and so she sent me a text message saying, "I'm buying my boyfriend a watch. Do you want one?" 
and showed me a photograph of this. I think it was a one and a half grand Gucci watch. Thought, yeah, why not? It's not really my style. I'm not really a Gucci kind of person. But if I can get it for 150 quid, then fine. She sent me that down, opened it out, and I thought, uh, it feels good. It's, it was the first watch it had that had sapphire crystal. It had a nice calfskin leather um, uh, strap on it. Uh, and it had an automatic movement inside. And I was keen to find out what that movement was. So I started doing research online. Up until that point, I'd only really been a Seiko and Citizen kind of watch guy. Uh, and I was researching this Gucci chronograph, found out it had this ETA uh, chronograph movement inside. Then I started realizing that other people use ETAs. And I found all these watch forms. I thought, all right, so there's other people out there who like watches as well. Uh, then I started researching, um, kind of went up the ranks of the watch brands. I kind of went into Hamilton. And then I thought, okay, Hamilton's quite cool, but what's next? And I started looking at Mont Blanc first. It's quite interesting, Mont Blanc pens, watches. I just kept going up the ranks, Omega, and then I finally got to Rolex. And I was keen not to get a Rolex. I hate things that um, are kind of the pinnacle of uh, that area. And I kind of always saw Rolex as the ultimate. Um, so I didn't want to get a Rolex. Um, but then I got a Rolex. My first proper watch, I guess, was an Explorer 2 from the year 2000. Oh, yeah. Well, so before the Gucci watch, though, you were always into watches to some degree yeah I've, I've always loved watches my my, my dad's um my dad was a fighter pilot and he always had these very military chronographs sitting around i'd always play with those and the first watch i remember i, I grew up in america uh, in florida um the first first watch i remember i think i was like six or something was a block bus and it's just this plastic uh kind of imitation dive watch and i kind of just fell in love with it just the ticking hands the the rotating bezel and ever since then i've always had watches whether it be flick flack watches whether it be a uh, swatch uh, i had an animal watch when i was a kid they were massive in england with like this this velcro brace velcro strap that started to stink after a while because you just sweat into this horrible velcro bit um but yeah uh, kind of before this gucci it was all about um Citizen chronographs. I had a thing for citizen chronographs, the, the eco drives. I, I like the fact you just, it's just there. It's just working. You don't need to touch it. It's, yeah. Yeah. A little bit of sun. A little bit of sun. That's all it needs. <laughs> that's right. Okay. Very interesting. So then you had the experience that seems like a lot of guys do now with the minimalist, like fashion watches. But a fashion watch is what turned you into like a watch, like a hardcore watch guy in a way. You know? Yeah. Uh, I've always been into mechanical things, um, and uh, it, it was the fact that this Gucci watch was automatic, yet it had the power to drive all of these hands. It, I, I, I knew about automatic, I knew about mechanical watches, but it, I was still in awe of the fact that there was just a rotor inside and no battery, yet all of these hands could move around, and it could this uh, the chronograph second hand could snap back to. Uh, the 12 o'clock position and that was all by just springs and cogs and i thought that was incredible and then i just started to research and it kind of just became fixated and it, it, it i feel like my whole watch journey has just been a perfect kind of uh, everything's just lined up i the gucci arrived the day my first kid was born and so i had a lot of time kind of sitting at home the wife was breastfeeding kind of just sorting out all the kids stuff i had a lot of time to myself and that's where I just got deeper and deeper into this Gucci watch, found it had a similar movement to what I think Tag Heuer was using a similar movement at the time. And then I kind of stepping stoned across 
straight away out of his Gucci. I think I sold it within two months of buying it. Um, and the, a big turning point was when I took it to a watch shop in London on the Strand, and I asked them if they'd buy it off me. And they kind of politely tried to hide their little uh, nose turning at it. It's like, we, sir, we, we don't touch fashion watches. <laughs> so that was kind of the feeling of, right, I, I, this has to go. If, if I'm going to get interested in this stuff, this, this has to go. So I just threw it on eBay and, and got shot of it. Yeah. Well, it also seems like that's a, a through line of your videos, too, is the way that your watches are an element of your style, but not like a – it's an understated version of your style. And so, like, in your day job, were you required to wear, like, suits, or you know, how does that kind of factor into how you view the watches? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, uh, so I, I don't have to wear suits, but I, I do like to wear um, – I've, I've got – a lot of nice tailored jackets and I, I do like to dress up to, to go to I don't have to but it's it kind of puts me in the right mood to, to chino shirt and, and jacket and, and that and I kind of always felt like my my Explorer 2 was a bit too sporty for that style and that was one of the reasons why I moved it on was it uh, I, I can justify buying two Rolexes and I, I bought another Rolex uh, so I, I sold that but I also didn't feel like it, it suited my style and that that's why I love the Explorer One, the um, the old Explorer, the 36 millimeter, uh, which is kind of my daily watch now, because I can wear that with everything. I don't have to think about that watch. I'm always in a rush when I leave the house. It doesn't matter what I'm wearing, that watch looks awesome. I, I could be wearing a, a tailored suit. I, I could be done up and that watch works. I've gone to weddings and worn that watch, but equally I could just be in shorts and, and boat shoes and that watch still looks awesome. Uh, so that's kind of, it's an easy choice. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, definitely your channel. I'm going to actually just blame you personally for uh, making the Explorer one, the 36 Explorer, my my grail. Um, <laughs> and actually, I think I think it was one of your videos um, that I, when I found your channel, it was it was about like how to get a good price on a Rolex. And also, I guess just like the philosophy that like watches can be something that kind of pass through you. So you, you can get a watch, wear it for a while. And if you get it for a good price, you can sell it. You know, so it's almost like you're just kind of renting it and trying it out. Um, and I and that was kind of a, a mindset shift for me. And also definitely one of the things that turned me on to Rolex was like it's one of the it's one of those brands that you can actually buy and if you didn't overpay, it's gonna hold its value, possibly even increase in value, which is like pretty rare. So yeah, Adrian, you owe an apology to Brock's wife. Uh, I am very, very sorry. She still, she's, she still doesn't understand. <laughs> but the, the, the idea of, of Rolexes holding their value was was a a really interesting thing for me to to figure out. At the time, I was working at Apple, and Apple, uh, you, you can get a discount on their shares when you work for them. And so I'd got into trading shares through Apple because I'd made some money off off their shares. Um, and the, the what, years, idea that, what years were you working at Apple? Oh man, 2010 um, to 2014. That was I, the I exact. My... That's the exact same years I worked at Apple. Oh no way! Where I you visited Covent Garden when I was no, over I, there. I opened Covent Garden. I was part of the oh, the original team. Wow, the universe, crazy. I have pictures. <laughs> I visited Covent Garden in um, Regent Street when I was over there. That's so weird. Okay. But yeah, I was on that same uh, stock plan. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah. So you, you can make pretty pretty good money off, off that. Um, and that kind of got me hooked into the, the whole stock market. So I ended up trading shares for a bit, just like small time. 
Um, I made a huge amount of money and, and then lost it all very, 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 very quickly. <laughs> um, and uh, but basically, I, I took those those shares and and bought bought what I thought was going to be a watch that I liked, but a fairly safe bet. And I had a good hunch that the Explorer Two was it was going to be a safe bet. I didn't think it was going to go up in value, but I, I knew my money was was uh, I thought my money was fairly safe with them. Um, but yeah, that, that that mindset and that video really upsets people, and I kind of understand it because people get very emotionally attached to watches, but. Uh, you can have an emotional attachment to something and it have a financial thing as well. It's just like a house. Everyone loves, if your house burns down, you will be upset. But equally, you can make money off your house. So it's, you can have two of the same thing. Um, and that's just how I have my watches. My Explorer 1, I don't expect to make money off that. That's just a daily watch. But there are other watches that, that will make money. Um, and I love it. It's, it's, it's just one of the things. Some people like it. Some people don't like it. Yeah. Well, when, when you got those first uh, 200 subscribers from your Instagram following, was that like a light bulb moment? Did you think, oh, I, I could do this, maybe even eventually do it full time? Or was it like very much just kind of easing into the hobby? Not at all. When I got the first 200, I thought, oh, wow, that's, that's quite cool. That, that was quick. And then I remember it taking probably a month to get the next 200s. But when I hit 400, I thought, cool, it's just going to be me and this 400. I'm happy. Let's let's just stop here. Be nice little intimate chat and, and we'll just leave it at that. And 400 is cool. 400 seems like a nice round number. Uh, but it just kept uh, kept going up. I remember it taking something like three months to get to 1,000. But then when I hit 1,000, it took like two weeks to get another 1,000. So there must be something to do with the algorithms of YouTube. Whereas once you hit hit that barrier they kind of start pushing you into different areas or start suggesting your videos mm. um, and it kind of snowballed from there uh, and i started around the same time as teddy baldazar um the time teller and those guys have just gone nuts they've they've just exploded um but i've, I've I, I used to look at the stats a lot um and i used to compare what i'm doing to other people i used to compare uh the performance now to previous performances and i i ended up spending unnecessary amounts of time analyzing whereas i think the key is is just content the key is just about to get content out and do the content that you want to do i, I started doing content that i didn't necessarily feel passionate about um that other people are doing great so it was it was completely uh, wasted for me to add to the kind of the whole list stuff best watches under x amount of money i don't need to do that stuff other people are doing that stuff and if, if that doesn't interest me i can go off and do something else so I'd, I'd, for me there was a lot of learning in the first kind of uh, say six months i mean i'm still learning now but I'd, i kind of feel like i've i've found what i want to do now and I'd, i like telling stories and that kind of taps into my previous job I like exploring things. I like putting myself into different environments, and uh, which is weird because I'm quite an introvert. I, I don't. I'm weird in social environments. And so when I when I look at you guys um, on on YouTube and you, you're so well groomed and, and well dressed, I think I'd I'd love to have that that kind of uh, that confidence about myself. I went to a Christopher Ward's launch party uh, uh, this week, and I would go to these. Uh, events or meetups thinking this is just work I'm just walking to work and I'll go into the, the event there's people just standing around drinking I literally don't know anyone here what what am I doing and then suddenly the introvert of me comes out and I just stand in the corner making a video and it's it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's quite bizarre it's all a great uh, front isn't it 
<laughs> I'm, well, I'm the exact it. same I, way. I, I edit this stuff. I went through so I, I went through a personality test at work once, and it was like this weird thing where you answer a bunch of questions, and then they give you like a, a thing, and it said, "You are the person that will not approach another person, but wait for someone to come to it." And I and my manager was like, "Do you think that's true?" And I said, "I literally sat at a wedding this weekend." at a table and just let people come and talk to me. I was like, it was so oddly spot on, but uh, it's funny you say like, you know, cause the YouTube, YouTube, you present yourself in a certain way on YouTube, which is like this person on YouTube and it's kind of what the camera needs. But even watching your videos walking through London, it takes a certain level of confidence to walk through the streets with a camera, which I feel like most people wouldn't either. So I, I feel like you would have a certain level of confidence or externality that, um, obviously you're saying is not the case those videos take me forever to record I'd, I'll, I'll walk around the corner there'll be people so i just suddenly put my camera away and i have to do like 50 takes of every sentence it's it's so annoying it, but, but i i like it because it gets me out and it, people like to see the streets of london and i feel quite weird when it's just me and the camera because i feel that's that's quite self-indulgent despite the fact i spend all day watching videos of people and just cameras so it it makes sense on YouTube, but I don't know. I, I like the results of the walking around videos, but to create them, it takes forever. I end up finding a small park somewhere and I'll just hide and just, just be by myself in the camera. Well, it's definitely a different aesthetic from you know menswear stuff, but even in the watch world, it's like you're a guy out on the streets and that feels very, it feels a lot more real than being in a room or on a set or that sort of thing. And so I, I think I remember that being the thing that I was like, oh, this is very interesting and different. This guy's walking around on the streets. I'm. I have a video idea now that that like even when I go downtown and I like shoot photos, I'm, we're always kind of like, all right, like who's around us and that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, I always do my my pocket shots. Uh, I, I shoot my pocket shots myself, and uh, I'm always just hunched over and I look really weird in the street because I'm hunched right over, looking deep down into my pocket, and people just stand there staring. Think, well, what are you doing? It's we're, we're embarrassing people. I feel like London's kind of like New York though. Like people will just kind of leave you alone. As, as long as you're not making a scene, they'll just kind of like let you be weird. <laughs> but but they'll make you aware that you are being weird. <laughs> they, they, they won't come bother you, but but you know that they, yeah, you know what they're thinking. <laughs> so the Rolex brings you into this new world of watches, and then it seems like like that's like you're happy in the Rolex world. Like I know if, if you, you start to understand, like okay, Pateks are this expensive because of X Y Z, but like it seems like you've really settled in on like the Rolex Omega kind of tier. Yeah, I, I feel comfortable there. I feel like um, if, if I went off and bought a brand new Rolex now, Steel Sports, let's let's say, um, if I went off and bought a Submariner now, I'd feel like that's something special and I'd feel, I feel really happy, feel excited, but I feel like we're on, I feel like that's me. I, I, I don't feel like, I don't know. I used to feel like I have to worship this watch or uh, I, I, I feel comfortable with it. I feel proud to have it, but I feel comfortable with it as well. Um, if I had a Patek, it'd probably be a different different feeling, um, maybe a sense of, uh, I don't know, putting that watch on, on a pedestal or something. Uh, and I, I think the whole Rolex-loving side of me helped the channel. L looking back, it makes sense. But I think the fact that I was originally a Rolex fanboy, I've now learned that Rolex videos always do well on youtube and that kind of just helped that build up that kind of original momentum it's, it's kind of it's easy to go back and, and join the dots together it's, it's kind of 
it's harder to look forward and, and figure out what to do next. Um, but yeah, I, I, I feel I like relics. I'm not massively keen on relics now. I, I feel like they've they have lost their sense of adventure, and they are very much um, pure luxury. Uh, I'd say relics of the 90s, relics of the 80s. Uh, I feel like that's more my style. Do you think that uh, Rolex is overpriced right now? Uh, new or, or pre-owned? I guess new because pre-owned, there's so much variation in price. Yeah. Um, to buy a Rolex, if you have the money in your bank and you're given the opportunity to buy a steel sports Rolex, um, I, I think it's you're on for a winner. You can enjoy a nice watch and you will most certainly make money. Um, I, and, and, and purely based on that, I think they are relatively cheap compared to something like an Omega where I, I, I don't, I mean, I'm, I, I was going to, I don't believe that Omegas are built uh, separately to ETA. E Omega part swatch group, swatch group own um, ETA movement uh, manufacturing. And I, I feel like there's a lot of bleed between the two and a lot of people bash ETA movements, but then it'd be interesting to get some insider knowledge around what that relationship is. Uh, but then Rolex has their own weird stuff. I, I think the whole Swiss watch area is, is it's all smoke and mirrors. There's lots of weird stuff going on. So I, I think value is, is a tricky one. It's, I think that purely comes down to your emotional connection to to what a brand is doing. And for me, I, I do think Rolex are, uh, I, I wouldn't say that they're, they're a proposition value, but um, value proposition, but I, I do think that if you've got the money and you can do it, you got access to it, then then do it. You could go off and buy a Hublot and lose your money straight away. You could go off and buy, <laughs> you can buy a, a lot of Omegas new and, and you'd lose a lot of your money. Um, whereas with Rolex, you're, you're, you're safe. Yeah, I th what's so intriguing about the brand to me is like, just for an average person. I mean, most, most people don't notice your watch anyway. Like the only person that really notices your watch is like a watch person, but Rolex is the one brand that regular people who don't even care about watches will notice sometimes. And it's so interesting that you could have a Patek or something like a super high end and no one will notice it. But then you have the Rolex and the little crown logo or the, or the date bubble or something, the Cyclops and people notice it. And it's just so interesting that it's, it's so value is so subjective like that. And I don't think any brands will ever surpass Rolex in terms of like noticeability. And that's why a lot of people buy it, you know, and I actually think that's fine like to buy it a little bit for the status, you know? Yeah. And I'd, I'd, I always like to think that I'd, I don't like Rolex. Um, that I'd, I like to think that it's not the status side of Rolex that I like, but there's always going to be that. It's, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm looking to buy a car and I'd love to get a BMW. My dad wants me to buy a Ford because it would be cheaper to run. Of course he does. Right. I don't want a Ford. I want a BMW. And it's it's kind of just one of those those things. I mean, I, I do genuinely like the look of BMWs. But there's also that 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 status feeling of uh, of that. Um, and that's what, kind of why I like the Explorer, Explorer 1 because I know it's a Rolex. It's got that little crown, but then I could walk down the street. My wife thinks it's a Seiko. My wife just... She keeps calling it the Seiko. If I say, oh, this this watch has just gone off for service, which one of the Seiko has gone off for service? But that's what I love about it. It's a watch person would recognize it. I know it's a Rolex, but Joe Bloggs walking down the street, he, he hasn't got a clue. Right. Most of the time I see an Explorer, I always try to wink at the guy. Like, I know it's an Explorer. <laughs> like, I like that watch. 
<laughs> so how are you uh how are you navigating now having a you know pretty big youtube channel probably getting tons of emails from brands and, and lots of comments maybe even some negativity uh, how, how is it to you know being a, a legit watch youtuber now legit watch youtuber wow <laughs> even a basel world attendee i was that was yeah. i was like jealous of that because i'm like oh basel world still it's the same thing it's like i you know that there's a certain thing to it now that like swatch is left but it's still such a sweet thing yeah that, that was cool and it wasn't until it got broken down to me by uh another podcast uh, a watch podcast um that it's really cheap for us to go it is dirt cheap for us to go like the flight out there was 24 pounds the flight back was 60 quid i mean the hotel room was uh, like 80 pounds or something so the the whole thing is is just an expensive weekend really um but it, that, that, sounds that, like was, a, that sounds like a cheap weekend to me <laughs> yeah. but it's but it, it, it's it's so doable and so i thought so let's let's just go ahead and do it and i was leaving work so it didn't really matter uh, but it, it's it's weird what, what this has grown into and i'm now doing it full time which i think is nuts uh, and it, it is hard to to navigate through all the kind of bs that gets sent in that watch brands that I'm just not interested in in working with, but some sometimes can be quite pushy. There's there's a watch brand in the UK in London um, who wanted to send me a watch to review, and I, I politely declined. I don't always reply because they're not always a personal email. It's just a copy. But I, polite, I politely declined, and, and this guy's like, "I'll pay you." Like, no, 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 thanks, but no, please. How much you want? Like, that's that's just. This is getting awkward now. It's like like a guy trying to chat up a girl, and and she's just constantly rejecting. It's, it's just bizarre. Um, but the, the, these are small people. It, it's hard to navigate through that stuff and figure out what is uh, genuinely interesting stuff to review. And also, I, I don't want to waste time just bashing a watch brand. Um, there was one watch brand in China who uh, kept sending me emails about uh, affordable luxury. And I sent them a rant back, explained to them how affordable luxury just doesn't exist. Uh, they're, they're two separate things. And they insisted that their watches are affordable and luxurious. And I thought, fine, send me one, I'll review it. And they ripped it apart. It was, it was horrible. So it's, it's hard to kind of navigate through that stuff and figure out, well, what is the branding that I want to do? My kind of approach to it now is I will review a watch or I'll accept a watch from a company if I like it. If I don't like it, then I'm not going to accept it. Sorry, I like the look of it. I, you never know what a watch is going to feel like and uh, how it's going to perform until you actually get it. But if I like the look of it, then then I can be interested. Um, but yeah, that's it's weird to juggle all of that stuff. And and the the negative stuff that comes in, I think it's so weird. It's it's as if uh, I put a video up about uh, Bremont. I visited Bremont's factory. Um, I visited a factory in February, but I've only just put a video up. And you would have thought that I just posted um, a rant about my views on abortion. It was just um, so weird the amount, how, the anger that people have about an opinion on a watch. And all the watches that we look at, if a watch is is costing more than $10 or £10, that's an overpriced watch. All we need to tell the time on a wrist is is uh, um, like a, a Casio F91 or something. It's, that's all we need. Everything else is just over-engineered, overpriced. A Rolex, why is someone still engineering a mechanical watch when we have a quartz movement? 
it's purely there on your wrist to tell the time and we have we can build that in china 50 of them for for a dollar probably it's it's crazy so i, I find it nuts that people get so upset about someone's opinion about a watch um but the internet's a funny place how, how did you make the big decision to go full-time with it it that was uh again it was kind of just this this big perfect uh, kind of the situation just molded itself uh and no so it just, just created itself uh some new directors joined uh the company that i work for they weren't too sure that my role was required within the company and this was about um probably 15 months ago and with brexit kind of constantly on the horizon my role is is pretty much the first role to always be canned in a recession um so there, there was loose talks about um being made redundant no one ever said the word redundancy but it was kind of very loose hinting around that and i kept going off applying for different jobs and having job interviews uh and i kind of realized that I, I just don't want to work for someone else I've, I, I ran a i opened my first start my first business when i left university i ran a, a recording studio in essex um, and I did that for about four years, uh, and I was in a band—not not a successful band, a, uh, a terrible band. Uh, we liked it, and the idea of running my own <laughs> business again—I I always had that idea of wanting to have a business. Um, and I kind of just thought YouTube's picking up. I think I probably had about a thousand subscribers then. I've just been told that my job's at risk. Let's really knuckle down and focus on this. And so I, I probably haven't had a day off for the past a uh, year and a half now i've just been grinding and grinding and grinding whether it's it's just taking better instagram pictures whether it's researching watches or whether it's actually editing videos or or trying to um create products to to sell uh, there's there's always things to do I, I, my playstation's been packed away now i can't remember the last time i turned on the, the playstation it's it's always been grafting and I, I i enjoy it now it's 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 weird it's it's kind of just a drug just to keep going. Um, the PlayStation thing is a sign of either an entrepreneur, a parent, or both. Because <laughs> mine's been packed up for four years, or probably five years now. The only one. Well, now that you are full-time and you, you have a little bit more time and uh, mental energy, maybe, what are you excited about? Or do you have any you know plans that you've been maybe wanting to do but haven't had time for the channel? Yeah, I thought I'd have loads of time when I left having a job, but I feel like I'm working more now, sleeping less now than when I had a job. Well, when I had the job, I'd, I'd do the eight hours, come home, I'd get home at about half six, have dinner with the kids, put the kids to bed, and then I'd do about three hours of work in the afternoon. And that'd, that'd be a really productive three hours of work. Now I'll probably do about three hours of work throughout the whole day now, and I'll get up at half six. I'll get up super early to try and be productive and it's hard to, to manage my own time because I'm not working to someone else's projects now I'm working towards my own projects um, and I'm also trying to move house I'm trying to move up to Scotland and so there's there's so many things that are getting in the way but the thing that I, I do like now is uh, I've, I'm now in a position to invest in in equipment and so I've, I've really upped the up the grade of my equipment and I can spend time uh, setting up the lights, getting the scene right, and then when I'm doing B-roll shots for for watches and things, I can actually spend a lot of time. 
kind of getting all that stuff set up rather than just capturing it and doing it i can actually think about okay what do i actually want this to look like start producing content as opposed to just getting in and making it if that makes sense mm -hmm. yeah you're definitely describing my last four months or so <laughs> thinking i remember i was like i was leaving my day job and i was like all right maybe i'll watch like one movie a week now i'll play video games for a couple hours a week like i'll have all this time and like it's not even not even close to my expectations i'm seeing i've seen my family a lot more in the past what has it been six seven eight months um but it's definitely not what i was expecting in a in a good or bad way yeah, I, I was I was really looking forward to getting GTA out and, and getting a PlayStation out and just just spending my mornings just yeah. sitting around in my boxes and just playing PlayStation again. No, that's I'm not even close to that. Yet. I think that's the sign of a of a driven person though, because like I now I have all my vintage video games downstairs because I collect James Bond video games, and I'm like I can't even turn them on because I'm like the channel's gonna fail if I play this video game right now. <laughs> it's like if I turn on James Bond right now, the channel's gonna fail. Oh man, your channels are huge as well. I, I, that's kind of my goal for this year. I, I want to get to the the kind of position of feeling like it it, it is big because I I still don't think it is big. Um, I, I kind of feel like uh, it's it's average within the watch kind of community, but within YouTube, uh, it's nothing. But I kind of want to. Um, I don't know. I, I I want more. Every, every milestone, I'm, and I'm sure you guys have have felt this. Every milestone I've hit, hit for myself. I get there and I think, oh, this, okay, so next milestone. Just kind of hit, hit 20,000 subscribers. I thought, yeah, I've made it, 20,000 subscribers. Isn't it? Nah, ne ne next step. <laughs> nah, that's why you have to just start to enjoy the process because it ends up Absolutely. coming. Yeah, and I've, I've, I've stopped looking at the stats. The, the only stats that I look at are, um, are locations to see where people are in the world. Uh, and so I try and drop my videos uh at half six because that's when people get home from work in the uk but that's also roughly lunchtime in the us and the us is is a bigger audience for me there's more people in the us watching my videos than, than in the uk so i kind of need to take that into consideration uh, but subscribe account as long as it's going up um i'm happy of, of yeah as long as it's going up yeah it's, it's tough not to get so addicted to looking at the stats especially like subscribers Cause like, as you guys both know, like you can have a lot of subscribers and no views, you know? So it's like in a lot of ways, a vanity metric. I mean, I guess it helps if you're working with brands, but it's hard not to check that social blade stat every morning and afternoon. <laughs> oh man. I used to have tabs open of different social blade, uh, different accounts within social blade. I'd be monitoring, what are they doing? Why have they had a spike there? What, what, what video have they just dropped? Uh, and that's time that you can, Go spend that time doing content. Don't spend that time analyzing. Just get on with it and, and do the content. Don't, don't try and figure out the magic. Well, I think we'd all go crazy if we were looking too closely at what Teddy's doing. <laughs> that, that, that kid is just churning the stuff out. It's, we had Teddy on like right before he seemed to like really like take off. Like We had Teddy on and talk about it and everything, and then um, we were trying to get him back on because um, – I actually had to go out and like hang out with him when I, when I left my job, and um, he's just he's a cool guy. I know because you guys did a collaboration early, right? You and Teddy. Yeah, we we used to talk a, a lot, um, uh, just trying to get thoughts and just share ideas. Um, and we, I think we've done haven't done two collaborations. I can't remember. We've, we've done a couple, I think. Uh, really nice guy, really great guy, and it. I, 
I love his exploration of things as well. And that's, that's kind of my, my purpose for, for me and the channel is I just want to explore stuff. And I feel like he's kind of on a, a similar journey. Um, but he's, he's, he's a, a smart looking guy. I, I, sh I feel like I should probably have a shave and, and tidy myself up. <laughs> like you, you chaps, he's well groomed. Uh, no, I just... Only John. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, Adrian, we have a, a section on the podcast where we call Rapid Fire. We ask, you know, these quick one or two word answers that you're totally unprepared for. Are you up for it? <laughs> yeah, I'll try and keep it brief. Yeah. Okay. I, I can talk. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no. Uh, Oxfords or Brogues? Oh, Oxfords. Uh, morning shower or evening shower? Morning shower. Your favorite Bond actor? Ah. Oh. Pierce Brosnan, it have to be. Oh, this is this is great. Every time we ask that, I get excited when someone says Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> uh, cardio or lifting? Oh, I, I just need to start moving, let alone actually choosing one. <laughs> so a little bit, yeah. But uh, cardio, it have to be cardio. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, what's the last book that you read? Ah, oh, now you're showing me as the uneducated. I don't really read. I, I, Do I you listen. To, uh, I listen to audiobooks. I that love counts. Audiobooks. In my world, that counts. Um, let me have a quick look at my phone. I don't know what my phone is. It would have to be something. Oh, no, I know exactly what it is. It's uh, what, What's your policy on swearing? Oh, you no, swear. Go for it. Butterfly. All right. There's a book called, I can't remember who wrote it, uh, but it's called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Yep. Uh, and it's. Manson. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 superb, and it's uh, I kind of I keep dipping in and out of it, and it's it's great to kind of change your mindset, especially in social media, when ultimately you're trying to create content that people like, but then you can't pander to what people like. Mm -hmm. You have to be true to yourself, and so it's it's really good to kind of just keep things straight. And actually, I I used it a huge amount in um in the day job when uh, teaching managers about stuff or teaching just people how, how to operate in different ways and kind of just getting them to reframe situations and just focus on what is true to you and kind of just block out all the, the crap in the world. Yeah, it's a so, great like short, quick book. You know, it's like, it's small, it's, it's good, but it's very direct and to the point. Uh, chinos, jeans, or trousers? Uh, jeans, always jeans. Now it's jeans, now that you're self-employed. Um, yeah. Uh, loafers or sneakers? Loafers. Oh, and then a navy suit or charcoal suit? Uh, navy. And if you're getting into the shower, you want to like pump yourself up, what song is playing? There's a new guy called, a uh, new guy, a new person who I've found called Dr. P, and he's got this song called Spaghetti Something, and it's just... <laughs> It's just dirty electronica, and it's just kind of a mixture of uh, dubstep and just uh, weird kind of Nintendo noises. It's uh, yeah, it messes with your head, but it's it's quite cool. If you put Check video out. game sounds in a song, I'm listening to it. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking for I'm looking for them on Spotify. Maybe I'll have to look for them on YouTube. All right, you survived rapid fire. Not too, cool. Not too but not too painful. Pass the test. Cool. Yeah, good. <laughs> All right, so Adrian, so you're the the latest full time YouTuber. What do you like? You said you're moving. Like, what are you excited about in the next six to twelve months? Uh, I'm excited to actually sit down and write a, a kind of business plan. Um, I, I, I want to figure out what is the long long term goal, 
uh, I, I feel like the, the content creates itself uh, and I kind of want the channel. I kind of feel like I have two businesses. I feel like the channel is a separate business to um, the kind of the, the commercial side of, of Bark and Jag. So I, I sell watch straps online and I, I want to develop that. So, so there's a bigger, I will be developing that this very, very soon. Uh, so there's a bigger offering and there's more things going on. So I kind of feel like that's a commercial part of the business. And then I have the fun part, which is the content creation. And I kind of, that's my exploration. That's, that's where the passion goes on. Um, and kind of that obviously fuels the, the sales of the straps. And then just having more time to, to create more structured content uh, and enjoy that. Nice. Yeah. Moving's going to be uh, quite weird as well. It'll be nice to have an actual studio. I've got, I'm going to have a, a little, we're moving to a tiny house, but it's a, a house that's got a, enough room for me to have a little studio. So it'll be nice to actually have my equipment set up rather than just taking over the, the main bedroom at home and just having a little light in the middle of the room. Yeah. Yeah. I think having a dedicated space is like such a game changer. I, I dragged my feet on that for so long. When I finally got one, it's like, just so nice. John has one too. It's like changes everything. We don't have to set up and break down for every video. Yeah. yeah. We're just about to bash out the content. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Love that. We'll have to catch up with you again uh, after your move in studio and see what's going on with the channel and the shop maybe in uh, another six to 12 months. Awesome. Very happy to do so. Cool, man. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Buttoned Up Podcast, a collaboration between John Shanahan of The Cavalier and Brock McGough of Modest Man, and we will see you next week.